0: GracePod is a ministry of Grace Church Greenwich For more resources to help you get to know God better through his word including bite-sized theology and answers to big questions do check out www.greenwich.church We hope you enjoy this episode Welcome to GracePod and we are in Exodus 19 and 20 and we um, are approaching Mount Sinai and we're going to hear the Ten Commandments in a moment and we come into this um, new section um, three days before the commandments are given. And the Lord calls um, to uh, out of the mountain and he says, You've seen, Egypt, what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings, brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice, keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession um, and you'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation.
1: There's a couple things to say about this, aren't there? So right off the from the off, we see that rescue precedes um, law. So you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. How I bore you on eagles' wings. Now, therefore, if you will obey. So it's grace before obedience, and that is the gospel pattern everywhere. So there's no hint here that this could be sort of salvation by works. You didn't worship your way out of Egypt. You didn't get rescued because you were so good at the Ten Commandments. Like, I've rescued you first, but now this is what it entails. And I love, I love the, um, description of, I bore you on eagle's wings. Um, and of course, Isaiah picks it up in Isaiah chapter 40 when I, um, um those who walk with me will never grow weary. Those who trust in the Lord will never be faint. They'll raise up on wings like eagles. It's, it's deliberately the same language. And I love that the song, strength the as We wait upon the Lord. Um, it's just a glorious picture of salvation because, of course, they didn't travel on eagle swings. They walked, and they, you know, they walked through the desert. They walked with no water and no food. And, but Moses gives this amazing, or God gives this amazing description of it as it was like you soared in luxury travel by eagle, you know, first class um, above the heavens. You know, God brought you in style out of Egypt. So it's it's a reminder of His grace and, and all that's come before in in Exodus, the the rescue before there's obedience called for but when obedience is called for there's this word if which Christians have argued about and differed from so if you will obey me and keep my covenant you should be my treasured possession
0: yeah and um this is uh, language which gets um repeated um in 1 peter 2 and is applied straight uh, across to the Christian so the Christian is is told let me just read it from 1 peter 2 um he's told you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession and these um, descriptions of israel um now get um linked to us and um, one of the questions we were batting around is, is is there a distinction here because it's an if conditional phrase if you obey my voice you will be a kingdom of priests in chapter 19 of exodus and then in the new testament no, you are a royal priesthood. And is that a, a, a distinction between old and new? What were you going to say about that, Andrew?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had lots of discussions about this. this. Is This is one of the things that you know, Christians argue about, the relationship between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and how different are they. Um, and I guess you know, the, the wise person says that there are some differences and there are many continuities. And I think Calvin in, in the, his Institutes has a whole chapter on The continuity between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and another chapter on the discontinuity between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant so there's elements of both I think one of the things about continuity is both Old Testament and New Testament have grace first before obedience second continuity is both Old Covenant and New Covenant require obedience and in some ways the blessing is conditional on that it's not that you earn your place as God's people by your obedience but certainly disobedience, per- persistent disobedience would forfeit your place as God's people. And there's warnings about that in the, the New Testament, just as much as in the Old Testament. You know, so in Galatians, Paul says, I, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And there's a description of various sort of unrepentant sins. Or Jesus says, I'm the tree vine. If anyone remains in me, he'll bear much fruit. Anyone who doesn't bear fruit is just going to be cut off and thrown into the fire so these warnings that it's not that you earn your salvation by your works but if there's no obedience to me you're going to prove that you're not actually saved people so i think you know, that that would be something that's the same in the old covenant the new covenant however it might be there's also a bit of discontinuity
0: so so on the point that they're the same even in one peter where they're told you are a kingdom of priests straight after that i think it's one peter 2 11 they're told well given that this is your vocation now live in line with it as sojourners and exiles abstain from the passions of the flesh. And then as you keep your conduct among the Gentiles, honorable um, God will be glorified. So it's just in some sense, it's not expressed in the same conditional way, but um, in both passages, it's underlined that you need to lean into your vocation um, and you, you can, you cannot do your vocation. You, you can't be, um, a, a light and that. You can't be a, um, a, a holy priesthood showing off God to the nations unless you're obedient. So I think I've heard some people just
1: talk, talk about the old covenant being conditional on obedience and the new testament being unconditional. And I'd reject that dichotomy altogether. I think there's the condition of repentance and the condition of of a life that is fruitful, that shows that you trust the Lord that saved you, is, is essential in both Old and New Testament. And there's warnings, you know, about what will happen if you turn your, your back on God, in both Old and New Testament. But it might be that there's a bit more confidence in the New Testament than in the Old, because, um, like r- right in the first five books of the Bible, um, Moses is going to tell us how the story is going to run, and that Israel as a whole will turn their back on god and they'll break his covenant and they'll be sent into exile and then he even looks beyond the exile and says and after His god will rescue you so even as he says if here there is you know moses knows and the the first five books of the bible will will underline it is not going to go well actually for the people as a whole um and so maybe the distinction between the old and the new testament is is not that there's no conditionality but um more of the people of God are expected to be the real thing in the new covenant. So in the old covenant as a whole Israel is going to be exiled and uh, there's a remnant who's faithful. In the new testament as a whole the church is the remnant is the faithful ones that the few bad apples who are going to be cut off like you know Ananias and Sapphira and the false teachers and the uh, the one who hardens his heart against God and so on. So um a greater there's a greater proportion now who are going to be the real thing and a smaller proportion then who were the,
0: the real thing. And, and there's a hint of that, I think, in, in the contrast that Jeremiah brings out between the old and the new because he says in Jeremiah 31, um, I'm going to make a new covenant with the people of Israel, verse 31. It won't be like the old covenant, um, which uh, was broken when they were exiled. So corporately, it wasn't that everyone you know, was a covenant breaker. Because I think Daniel, you know, he was a faithful guy. But corporately, they all got spat out of the land. But in the new covenant, you can be more optimistic. Corporately, there's going to be obedience and, um, uh, yeah, an optimism.
1: So, um, <laughs> anyway, we're kind of anticipating how the story is going to go. It sounds good right now. It's not going to look so good in a few chapters of time. And by the book of Numbers, and you know, the whole generation is going to die out. Apart from, um, Joshua and Caleb. So, but, um, nonetheless, the paradigm is the same, that you've been rescued. God wants you to be his people. To be his people will entail living faithfully to him. And that, that's the, that's the introduction to the Ten Commandments. Commandments given to a rescued people, but that nonetheless require, entail obedience. And should we dive into the Ten Commandments themselves and see that? So we, actually, we get both of those lessons that we noticed in the beginning of chapter 19 repeated in chapter 20. So, um, what I call the zeroth commandment, because we've numbered one to 10 already, but we need to fit one in before number one. Um, it's like in, I think King's Cross station in London, all the platforms are numbered and then they realized they needed an extra one to the left of, chapter, of platform one. So they called it platform zero. So nine and three quarters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so let's add a, it's not a commandment, but it's a, it's a phrase that's crucial to introduce the commandments. Um, I am the Lord, your God, uh, verse two, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And it is crucial that we begin with this. I call it commandment zero. It's not really a commandment, but promise zero reminder zero. God's done something first. Now he calls you to respond. Again, we said the same thing in chapter 19, but obedience is a response to grace. It's never the way of earning the relationship. So we get that again. But we also get the warning that, um, having been rescued, obedience is entailed. So, um, he, when he says the second commandment, not to make idols, verse five, you shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments or, um, third commandment don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain the Lord will not hold him guiltless he takes his name in vain so they're rescued people they're they're beloved people they're also warned people God says you know if you say I've been rescued by Jesus and then you go around blaspheming him constantly God will not forgive you Um but if you respond to the grace of your salvation with faith and with and um, with walking with him then then you're his people
0: yeah and um, the Ten Commandments are uh, rightly famous, and, and we put them, uh, sometimes they're carved and put in the front of churches and things like that. Um, but it's important for us that we don't just see them as floating uh, abstractly. They they fit into a story. And actually seeing them in the book of Exodus changes how you read them. And um, we, I, we notice a few of these, but um, for example, the Third Commandment, um, which is um, about you shall not take the the name of the Lord your God in vain. When you see them written at the front of a church building, you think, oh, that's telling you not to say OMG. Um, but actually you stick it into the book of Exodus and you think, oh, I get it. Because then the, the whole thrust of Exodus is that they may know that I am the Lord your God and God's name uh, he wants his name to be known and honoured across the whole world. And this so, is
1: the, the "I am who I am" name, the the promise keeping name of revealed at the bush.
0: And so it's not it's not weird then that one of the commandments is that God wants his name to be held as very special because He wants His name honoured and known across the world, and and God's people must take a lead in uh, treating His name as holy. Do you want to show some other connections with Exodus?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, even you shall have no other gods before me. Um I mean, in Exodus, we keep seeing God versus the rival fake gods. Um I think we've mentioned this almost every grace pod, but it's just the thing that struck me this year as we looked at Exodus, that um God is the only true God, but he's not the only pretend God in existence. And he wants us all to know that he's the real thing. So chapter 12, the plagues are judgment on the gods of Egypt. Chapter 15 of the song, who is like you among the gods, like no one. Jethro, uh, last week, chapter 18. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. And it, it matters to the Lord that his name is honored. It matters to God that we know that his rivals are fakes and that he's the only true one.
0: Yeah. And even, um, say the fourth commandment, um, remember the Sabbath day on it. You'll not do any work, including, um, servants. Um, I mean, that's a wonderful gift. From from God that we can be a people who rest, but imagine how it would have sounded in the ears of people who had been slaves for uh, under Pharaoh, and you realise, oh yeah, this is this is a good law to a people who have been slaves. Uh, you shall not. Um,
1: uh, sorry, honour your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So we're reminded that we're people on a journey out of Egypt, but on our way to the Promised Land. Um, and I, I, we, again, I, d- I don't think there's a contrast really between old and new here. So when Jesus is asked to summarize the law and he says, um, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. And the second is like it to love your neighbours yourself. On this all hang, hangs, hangs the, the law and the prophets. I mean, Jesus is not replacing the ten words. He's just summarizing what's there. So the first four commandments are all about honoring God, the, Second half, all about honoring, um, honoring neighbor. Um, and, um, what else are going with this? Oh yeah, even, even when on the 7th of the Mount, when Jesus says, you've heard it was said, don't commit adultery, but I say to you, don't look with lust at a woman. And people think, oh, this is a new thing that Jesus is bringing out. He's, he's not really. He's just combining the insight of the, the 10th commandment, um, not to covet someone's wife. Uh, with the seventh commandment not co- to make adultery so the idea that god wants you to obey him not only in action but even in thought you know coveting is about the thought life is there in the law as well so i think the whole the whole of christian ethics is here in um in summary in in, in foundationally
0: in the ten commandments um we we once did a, a, a 10 week series on the ten commandments so we, we probably have to <laughs> not not give you everything we think we about the Ten Commandments right now um, and, and leave that for another time. Um, Fair enough. So, so um, there's a, a structure in this section right from 1909 to um, 2021, which is a sort of bread with jam in the middle, and, and the Ten Commandments are the jam. Andrew, can you just show us um, either side of it, what what the theme of the bread is? Yeah,
1: so the Ten Commandments are given on Mount Sinai, Um famously but as we read the narrative around it we discover that God has made Mount Sinai about as frightening as it is possible to make any place on earth and it is deliberately very frightening and you know there's all sorts of things but I like to imagine you know God's making a lot of decisions about the day that he says the Ten Commandments he says well what kind of um lighting will I have imagine making the film what kind of lighting will I have um complete darkness that's that's the most frightening kind of lighting so I have that and then what kind of musical accompaniment shall I have? String quartet? No. Trumpet. And um, what kind of dynamic markings for the trumpet? Multi crescendo, getting louder and louder, because that's about the most frightening soundtrack you can have. And then um, any um special effects? Uh, yes. Which ones? All of them. So it's like there's fire, there's lightning, there's earthquake. And we read that the mountain trembles violently and that the people tremble. So there's a kind of earthquake and then there's an Israelite quake. And no wonder, because they're, they're just very frightened, because everything about this is is kind of daunting. It's it's creation at its most fearsome as the Lord descends in fire. And then um, there's even the warning. So um, God says to, to Moses, um, go tell the people to consecrate themselves. Be ready for the third day. On the third day, the Lord will come down. You shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. You know, this is not a church fate. Don't touch the tombola or you will die. I mean, God has made it like very frightening. And even someone touches it they've got to be executed but even the manner in which they've got to be executed is frightening
0: do you yeah wanna- yeah so no hand shall touch him he shall be stoned or shot this is they didn't have um rifles and pistols this means shot with an arrow i take it but the point being that um if somebody breaks onto the mountain runs onto it you definitely got to kill him um but make sure you don't you don't go and dr- um run over to him as you do it you have to do it remotely and um, because it would be dangerous for you to carry out the execution at close quarters. Um, why do you
1: have to execute the person who goes near the mountain? It seems because the very presence of God is so dangerous that he might break out and consume all the people. You mustn't poke the bear. You mustn't provoke God. Because, um, then after, um, the trumpet and it's getting louder and louder and the thunder comes, the Lord said to Moses, verse 21, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord and look and many of them perish and let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them and Moses said to God look God this isn't necessary because I've already put the limits around the mountain everyone's already extremely scared they're not coming anywhere near this mountain and then God says again nonetheless go down and warn the people not to come through so you get this warning three times you will die if you touch this mountain that God is thundering from, so it it's just very frightening. And then this is confirmed because the other piece of bread, the other side of the jam, the clays of the sandwich. After the Ten Commandments come, we read verse eighteen of chapter twenty. When all the people saw the thunder, the flashes of lightning, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking, the people were afraid. That that's the desired response, I think, and it's response that they get they said to mazes you speak to us and we'll listen but do not let god speak to us lest we die um, i used to think they got that wrong that you know why are you so scared of god why do you want mazes instead of god i, I now think they're, they're actually right that they, they realize god is so holy and frightening we need a mediator and mazes we we need you to be in between us and god um, to have immediate access to god it would be too much as so I, I think that's correct um, and then you get this little paradox in chapter twenty, verse twenty. Do you want to tell us about that?
0: Yeah. So having we've we've heard a lot about fear, and then Moses says in verse twenty, "Do not fear." And then it's a strange thing of oh, it it looked to me like God was all about making you afraid. Okay, and um, he says, "Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin." And so here we're discovering that um, God has deliberately made this a scary episode um, and he's done it so that they don't sin. And, and that actually um, it connects it backwards because we saw that the vocation of this redeemed people rests on being an obedient people, that if they're going to be a treasured possession, um, they're going to have to obey his voice. And God really, really wants them to fulfill their vocation and to be a, a light Across the nations, and one of the ways he's going to um, accomplish this is br- give them this memory, this uh, of Sinai, and just how awesome he is, and how terrible it would be to fall on the on the wrong side of God. And then uh, they're not to 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 fear, Moses says, um, but they are to carry around this sense of God's awesomeness that they might not go um, disobey him.
1: And we get the same thing all the way through the Bible, and Jesus himself says. Don't fear the one who can kill the body, um, and that's all. But fear the one who can kill, throw body and soul into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And Jesus is very frightening, but it's in the context of his talking to his disciples. And the next sentence he says, fear not, you're worth more than many sparrows. God loves you, and the hairs of your head are, are numbered. So the idea that there's a right way of being afraid, and it's almost a paradox that if you are afraid of God, then you don't need to be. So... You, the people in the Bible who are told to fear not are people who rightly are afraid. Whereas if you come, we read it's the wicked in the Old Testament that they have no fear of God before their eyes. So it makes me think of, you know, when, G, when John meets Jesus at the beginning of the book of Revelation, he sees the risen Jesus in all of his glory, the ascended and throne Jesus. And he's terrified and he falls on his feet as though dead. And Jesus says, fear not. I don't think that means you were wrong to have been afraid, John. It means because you've come in right reverence, you now can relax. It's like a sergeant major saying to a private, you know, at ease. You know, The, the private salutes him and the sergeant major says, you can now stop saluting. And he it doesn't mean don't salute me next time. <laughs> you know, you've shown the right respect. And because you show the right respect, you can now relax. I think it's like that with God. You know, if we fear him rightly, we can then relax. But it's if we're complacent with him that we're in real danger of, of drifting and taking his word lightly. And th- this whole Sinai experience is designed to banish complacence, and that, complacency. And
0: that, that, that dynamic fits precisely with um, Psalm twenty five, um, where in verse fourteen we're told the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. So it's not that intimacy and fear are opposites; they they go hand in glove. So if you're uh, if you're someone who's very very fearful of the lord you will be one who's very very close to him and and deep close in friendship and they're not opposites at all and and sometimes um the idea is given that oh old testament god's all about fear new testament god's all about love um if you had to plot levels of fear between old and new how which way do you think the graph (laughs) would go andrew
1: (laughs) that is an excellent leading question um there's a particularly there's a passage in hebrews 12 where mount sinai is contrasted with mount zion and um it, it is a contrast and there's no doubt that mount zion is better so mount mount sinai is a gloomy mountain and mount zion is a party with the angels celebrating and feasting so you know you'd rather be in a party than in a day of gloom so it's definitely better but it's not less frightening so he says, you haven't come to Mount Sinai, you New Testament Christian, you come to Mount Zion. But then he says, you know, the Lord shook the earth at Mount Sinai, but he's going to shake the heavens and the earth in Mount Zion. Um There, there was fire on Mount si- on Mount Sinai, but God is a consuming fire. God himself is the fire on Mount Zion. Um And, you know, they were in, they would have been in real trouble if they disregarded God's word in Mount Sinai. How much less will we escape if we refuse Him? He warned us from from heaven on Mount Zion. So in, in Hebrews chapter twelve, it's it's a compare and contrast. Mount Mount um, Zion is better, but it's it's even more frightening. The stakes are even higher. Um, the God who saved us. I mean, the, the, again, it's the parallel, isn't it? There's some discontinu- discontinuity, but there's so much that's parallel. A God who saved us. Um, by grace there's no suggestion that we've earned it it comes as a gift from him he's brought us on eagle's wings but now it really matters that we live rightly in relationship with him he's not a he's not a god to be taken lightly
0: and if it's true that as psalm 25 says that intimacy and fear belong together actually both of these get ratcheted up in the new covenant so Mm. we get in hebrews 2 since the message declared by angels at Sinai um was punished uh, every disobedience received a just retribution how shall we new testament believers escape if we neglect such a great salvation so that the the stakes have raised the level of fear we should have about disobeying god is raised and also the intimacy um, and closeness that we can enjoy with god is raised so everything is ratcheted up um
1: some of some people in Grace Pub will have come across the book by Mike Reeves, um, uh, Rejoice and Tremble, which is about the fear of the Lord. I think we recommended it at Grace Church a couple of years ago. It is an excellent, excellent book that explores this theme and would very strongly recommend it. Uh, Rejoice and Tremble, I can't believe he published it. Is it Crossway in the States? But you'll yeah, you'll find it on 10 of those or some um, internet bookseller. But do get that? Um, let me, I'm going to finish by reading from 1 Peter because... Um, it's a New Testament passage, obviously, but has just the same Exodus um, paradigm, the, the same, um, the same flow of thought. If you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. We who've been through the Passover now come to the mountain where we must fear the Lord and enjoy intimacy with him.
0: Thank you for listening to Grace Pod. For more information about Grace Church Greenwich, visit www.greenwich.church.